I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh, host of the podcast, Mating Matters. I believe nearly every human behavior is motivated by a desire for love. I love the romantic endings. I believe in happy endings. Sex. Sometimes find myself looking for reasons to have sex. Or to hedge your reproductive odds. I've always been very active. In Mating Matters, we explore how our ancient brains are interacting with the modern world. Listen to Mating Matters on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. For the week of Thursday, May 7th, COVID-19 continues its impact on the entire world and deaths in the United States alone have risen to almost 75,000. Across the country, demonstrations continue in many states. Uh, Protesters are hoping to have an impact themselves on how fast their governors open up the economy. Is it working? Plus, viral videos that tout or criticize candidates are definitely not a new development in politics, but they certainly have been sprouting up a lot this past week. Will they have any impact on this year's political races? we got a great panel this week, and actually for the very first time in month, maybe since we started this show, every single one of them is joining us from sunny Los Angeles, but still appropriately socially distanced, of course. Uh, the cool ocean breezes of Mar Vista, television journalist and news anchor and host of the podcast Controlling Our Narrative, Brooke Thomas is with us. The tree-lined beauty of Hancock Park is where political analyst, noted GOP strategist, and co-host of the podcast Hacks on Tap, Mike Murphy, is with us. My old stomping grounds in Chatsworth, award-winning actor, director, and amazing, trust me, amazing jazz vocalist, the incredible Robert Davi, is with us. And also in Hancock Park, maybe at his own house, maybe sitting on Mike Murphy's front porch. Well, I'm not sure. The creator of Everybody Loves Raymond and the creator and host of Netflix delightful food and travel show, Somebody Feed Phil, multiple <laughs> Emmy Award winner, Phil Rosenthal is with us this Hello. week. Hello! I'm Clay Aiken. I'm in Raleigh again. I am wearing pants this week, that is for sure. Um, <laughs> unlike other weeks, I'm not going to tell you which ones. <laughs> We're going to chat these folks up through the uh, magic of the interwebs and see if they can shed light on some of the issues uh, I just talked about and maybe even answer the question, how the heck are we going to get along? Brooke, Phil, Robert, Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. How is everybody handling the quarantine? I mean, what are we in? Week 500 of that? I stopped counting. What what are you doing Uh to stay entertained? What are you doing in your, I mean, everybody's stuck at home, right? Nobody's going anywhere and breaking the rules. What are you doing to keep yourselves entertained? to the store. Okay. I guess I'll forget that. We do have to eat. I try to order from a new restaurant every night. Do they, so the delivery's doing okay, Phil? I mean, oh yeah, Phil, love the it. delivery's doing well. You're getting it all in. I love it. I want I want to support the restaurant industry, and I, I, it gives me something to look forward to. And the, the family really seems to enjoy it. You just have to unpack it outside, wash your hands, right? Bring it inside, wash yeah. your hands again, and then eat. What I really want to know though is what does Phil Rosenthal watch on TV though while you're stuck inside? Oh, well, you can't help but watch the news. Uh, I love oh, all the I late night. I can't watch the news. I stopped. I gave up on it. Well, you're smarter <laughs> than me. 
it's almost like <laughs> a, a, a car crash that you can't look away Oof. sometimes. But uh, I try to wean myself off it. It's it's. Let's see. I'm. I guess I'm watching what everybody else watches. All the Netflix stuff, like Money Heist, and I watch Better Call Saul. And uh, it's. Uh, I'm looking for diversion. I like the Seinfeld's new special just dropped yesterday. I like. Uh, I like a lot of stuff, and I, I the late night shows are kind of our conscience talking. I think they're very important. They give me perspective. They make me laugh. They make me cry sometimes. But all those guys, they're all doing a great job, I think. Mike, are you able to, to turn the news off at all? Or do you feel you are you stuck on it like so many of you are? Yeah, you know, I work for NBC News as one of the bloviators. So I, I get enough of it <laughs> in my job. But, but I have to, you know, I have to kind of keep an eye on it. So I'm watching cable news. Then I escaped to scripted. You know, I've been enjoying Better Call Saul. I found this French CIA show, The Bureau, uh, which I like a lot. So, you know, in the world of Netflix and Amazon and everything, you know, you can almost go mad from all the choices. But that is a more entertaining way to go mad from the pure clock tower stuff that I'm slowly inching to as I stay quarantined here. <laughs> we have a six-year-old daughter who's not going to school. So uh, uh, that, that's a character tell me about that. experience. Are you doing the yeah. homeschooling, too? Uh, we're trying to. We have kind of, but luckily, you know, at six, you're just, right. you know, doing basic reading and all that. And uh, so it, it's okay. And then, you know, I'm grinding out work. My my line of business never stops. And of course, you know, Axelrod and I honk off a podcast every week. So that's been good. So busy. I have, despite I have complained on here a few times about having to do long division with decibels. I miss the days of having a <laughs> six-year-old when the homeschooling was a little bit easier. Uh, Brooke, what about you? Any, any, interesting things that you've been watching or any ways of entertaining yourself? I mean, I'm watching every single thing possible on TV. It is, I should be in a, the, a world record book. I'm watching so much TV, but I'm also, I just finished a book um, called Such a Fun Age. It's by Kylie Reed. And it's, was like the most fun, entertaining thing I've read in a long time. And I zoomed through it. And now every time I talk to somebody, I try to get them to read it so that I can talk about it more. I'm writing it down, but my pen's What's it about? It's I'm really good. It. Yeah, what is it about? You, you, uh, so what is it about? Starts, Phil might want to option it. Uh, <laughs> it's so good, but it starts with, it's like a young black woman in Philly who's a babysitter. She's in her 20s. She's a babysitter for um, this really well-to-do white couple. Um, and they're, not, they're young, too. They're in their 30s. And she babysits their two-year-old. And there was an emergency at their house. This is all in like the first few pages, but there was an emergency at their house. So they need her to come and get the little girl in the middle of the night to just keep her busy for about an hour. So they go to a grocery store in the family's neighborhood, the babysitter and the little baby do she's two. And in that grocery store, she gets accused of kidnapping the kid. Like another woman shopping calls the security guard over and it's a whole thing. And everything else in the book kind of has to do with, Wait, but every, I, there's, I'm not going to spoil. Everything else has to do with that moment, but not, not in a way that you would think. It's okay, Robert, the, you're going to go get that book, and you're going <laughs> to read it. And what else? What else are you going to be doing? <laughs> well, what else I'll be doing? Well, what I've been doing, you know, I mean, been very busy actually. Strangely enough, oh, that's uh, good. I did, yeah, I did. A, I'm doing a lot of voiceover. I did a voiceover for Louis Monet, which is a big watch. Like the watches are between. Fifteen and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a piece. I did a, a series of little movies for them. Narration. I did a National Geographic thing, and then another four part episode of something. So narration wise, but 
watching the news, you know, going back and forth to the cable thing. But I've watched, I love the old films. I've watched The Barefoot Contessa recently. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I love watch it go retro when I want to relax. And then also I, I, uh, with we Randy Walton, to- we did a single. We have to go retro because I, I feel like Netflix is going to run out of stuff. I mean, do you think, Phil, that that production in L.A. will open up um, anytime soon? Do you think that people will be able to start getting back to the studio to, to shoot? Do you think that um, people are going to be able to go to concerts anytime this summer? Any of those gatherings? Is there any thought about that? Or is Netflix going to run out of content? Uh, everyone I speak to has no idea. They make their yeah. plans, you know, and and uh, God has uh, God has the final word. I guess that's not. There's no way to know. You, it's a good time for writing. I'm just afraid that when we come out on the other side of this, every script is going to be about this, and I don't want to see it. Right. <laughs> Once this is over, free. I want to forget it. Forget exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. But so LA. But so LA is opening a little bit more. California, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom um, decided to push um, into. I don't know whether you're calling it phase one or phase two, starting Friday, where a few more places will be open. Is that right, Mike? That you're going to be able to get pickup from certain stores that you weren't able to before. There's a slow opening of California. Correct. Yeah, they're they're easing it up. I mean, all these governors are caught. It's like the old uh, trash compactor in Star Wars, because on one hand, you got to watch this virus, which really wants to multiply. It's incredibly good at that. And on the other hand, you really don't want a depression. So they're all kind of riding the throttle and hoping they can open up a little. The problem is in some of these big, more urban counties that are denser, you know, particularly New York, but New Jersey, Boston, and even, you know, Los Angeles County here in California, though we're doing a lot better uh, than anywhere on the East Coast, you, you, you still have pretty good transmission going on. You know, so it's a very, very tricky thing, and they're going to start experimenting. Now, some of the Idaho's of the world that have a much lower case rate, the hospitals are nowhere near overloaded, uh, and the, you know, the population, they, they might be able to open a little faster. But the, the experts are scared about this because the math of it quickly can overwhelm you if you kind of, like, open the valve a little too far. So we're, we're going to find out what happens. Right. But, I mean, Robert, do you think that people have any, I guess my concern is I don't know whether or not we've gotten to a place where it really is okay to open or politicians are feeling pressured by protesters. I mean, there've been a lot of protests, not as many Mm -hmm. in California, perhaps, but across the country, there've been a lot of people protesting pretty aggressively. Do you think that politicians are being pressured by that type of protest to open up maybe before they should? Yeah, look, obviously, there is some kind of pressure going on because there were some changes in, in uh, their uh, phases. Even Gavin Newsom, you know, now the beaches are going to open up. And there were, you know, and also the woman that was arrested, the salon on Friday in, in Texas that opens up. I mean, it seems to be a, a uh, frightening conversation because do we go bankrupt how often do we say, do we start to play? Like in Sweden, I have friends of mine in Sweden. They're going to their restaurants. They're saying, let's have herd, herd immunity. You're hearing so many different kind of uh, plans of what we should be doing. Meanwhile, I'm terrified. I mean, I go out. I'll put the mask. I'll put the gloves. I'll put the hat. I'll put the glasses. You know, I mean, it's, I don't see opening up uh, until there is some kind of uh, call. But I understand the need not to be terrified about this. Or have we been over-terrified about it? Um, that's well, another question. Well, I mean, so it's interesting because when you watch the news, 
and I don't, I'm serious, I really try my best not to recently, um, but, but when you do catch a little bit of it or you read something online, so much of the message that I see is that there are people on the right who are so upset about the economy being shut down that they want to open up regardless. And we've seen a lot of, we've seen not a lot, but several Republican governors open up, one or two of them even before the president believed was appropriate. But here on this call, we, on this, here on this podcast, we've got two conservatives, two Republicans who don't necessarily even themselves feel like we might be doing it, um, who are both still somewhat concerned that we're doing it too fast. Prudent. You have to be prudent in this whole thing. And I think that's the caution. Nobody has the answer. No one really has. All we have is an experiment right now. And, you know, no matter what Trump does or doesn't do or what this one does, there's going to be criticism. There's going to be a mistake going on. We're in uncharted territory. And, you know, look, at people have a right. We have Antifa doing this. We've got Occupy Wall Street doing that. You got, you know, it's all right. So people want to go back. They want to, they feel whatever it is. They have a right to, um, uh, and also we have to be cautious. I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't have that overreaching wisdom. And I hear some of the science is often angled. We, we don't know for sure about the science of how many there are, how many the COVID-19, how many, I mean, you hear it just, I wonder why, I know why you don't want to watch the news because there's a contradiction all over the place. So it's very, very, uh, you know, uh, disconcerting. Well, unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to watch these people who've been out in the streets protesting and uh, the people who refuse to wear a mask and, and uh, ha- keep close quarters with other people. We're, the rest of us are watching them, and they're going to tell us whether it's safe to go out yet or not in about 10 days. Yep. <laughs> so true. It, it's, this has all been really frustrating to watch because this is terrifying, and I think the fact that it's true we don't know enough about this. We barely know anything about this right now. And so how can we decide that we should run into it? And just a lot of all of the talk about um, the government, you know, shouldn't make us do this, make us do that. But like, we don't protest like drunk driving being illegal. Driving drunk can potentially kill other people. So the state has to come in and say, you can't do this. But no one talks about, like as if it's taking your right away because this is killing people. And we know for sure, one of the things that we know for sure about this is that it is killing people. It is killing healthy people. It is killing people with who are immunocompromised. Restricting somebody, restricting somebody from driving drunk or restricting somebody from smoking in a restaurant, um, yes, there are going to be some outliers who say that's taking their rights away, right? But it is still a little bit different than forcing people to stay home correct don't you i mean is am i wrong about i don't think this? so when it when it's where you're restricted you're not it's not about the primary focus isn't about forcing people to stay home it's about stopping people from spreading a virus that's killing people that's killing children that's killing people's grandparents that's killing that's killing people of all ages that's killing black people, people who look like me at a disproportionate rate all across this country it is preventing people from spreading something that kills and yeah the only difference is the difference the difference between drunk driving and this is you just can't see the murder here. Right. Yeah, right. that's, that's, that's and so It's easier to, to not really care about the harm that this could cause to other people. Uh, we just well, don't know is- about this. And uh, one of the, a lot of the protests that I see, it's not people who people want to make money. People, of course, people are struggling right now. But a lot of the protests are people who want to be able to do things. They want to get out of their house. They want to do things. But what that does is forces people who want to be safe to go yes. 
back to work and against their will. I had so my, that you, you can know, I go have kids. have fun. I have a bunch of children, of course. I've got twins that are 19, a 13-year-old, and my one-year-old baby. Okay, so now my twins, boy and girl. My boy has been very, very compliant, stays in his room, comes out, you know, plays on the outside a little bit by the, on the, at the house. My daughter, on the other hand, wanted to go visit friends. Dad, it's friends. I want to go stay with a friend. I want to come back. I says, you leave the house. You're staying where you're going to go until this is over. You're not going to jeopardize everyone else in the home. And uh, that's basically, that, that's a difficult thing. I mean, just think of the, the family repercussions inside a family. Teenagers are not easy. I mean, some of you guys have younger kids, but teenagers are not easy to kind of say, stay in place when their friends are saying, hey, come on, let's go to the beach. Robert, yeah, I no, feel like if I was your kid, I would not misbehave. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you said, stay your ass inside, I would do exactly that. <laughs> yeah, my, my, daughter, my daughter didn't. My daughter said, I'm going to go to my friend Skyler's. I said, well, all right, then you know, honey, you can't come back. I love you with all my heart, but you're not going to come back and jeopardize, God forbid, you know, uh, right. something unleashes. Yeah. Mike, do, um, do, do, is it different, though? I mean, there is, we've talked about the the reasons behind drunk driving. Yes, you're right. You can't see the murder in this situation. But unlike those laws, those laws don't require me to stop being able to work. I, can, I can't smoke inside a restaurant, but I can still open my business and therefore still sell and f- sell product and feed my family. Is that, is, does that not make this different, Mike? Well, yeah, th- this is more complicated because we, and this is the fault of the Trump administration, in my view. I'm I'm a conservative, but I'm a, I've been a never Trumper since 1992 when I had to deal with them in New Jersey, working for the governor there. The, uh, the, the OG we don't, we never don't have Trumper. Uh, yeah, no, no, I don't know why where all the Johnny Come Ladies came from, but fundamentally the problem is most people. You got to remember the math here. This is really a math game. First, most people who get it don't die, but they get sick, and many people who have it don't have any symptoms at all. So they're tremendously good at spreading it because they don't think they have it, and because we don't have the fast testing at a large enough scale. We don't know where it is, so we're we're at the tail end of this thing. We only hear about this drunk driving crash after, you know, the day after the crash. And the drunk gets up, grabs another car, and goes and hits nine other people. So that's why the only weapon we have is kind of to shut everything down. But that's an expensive weapon because then you knock the economy to pieces. And and again, we got a divided country politically. Part of it is geography. About 3,200 counties in the U.S., and most of the Democratic presidential vote comes from 200 of them. And out in rural America, they are not yet, with the exception as we increasingly learn clusters like those meatpacking plants in South Dakota and Iowa, they are not feeling this thing. Now, it's there, but they're not seeing it and feeling it the way they are in New York or Jersey uh, or Massachusetts or Detroit. So they're reacting to the economic pain. And whenever voters go somewhere, the politicians tend to want to follow. Uh, politicians are basically in the self-preservation mode to the opinion of the moment. So that's mm-hmm. leading to this incentive set that's getting, getting some of these places to loosen up quicker than the docs would like. And it's a real problem. I I want to interject something because I think historically what we're not seeing, because it's easy to blame Trump on this and that. I am am a supporter of Trump, good, bad, or indifferent. But in 2005, George Bush had read a book about pandemics and said to Homeland Security, we have to prepare for this. And he tasked them with now doing a study. What had happened was the lower echelon of HHS had uh, the Homeland Security, uh, uh, the lower echelon of those, 
they did a test, but they changed the results. They cooked the results because the pandemic was, they didn't want it, the higher ups, they didn't want everybody to get panicked and nervous. So we dropped the ball back then. Then we dropped the ball during the Obama years. The ball was dropped. People dropped the ball. And this thing here, you know, if, if you really want to find out, what I want to know is, I do know that the virus initially started in Saudi Arabia in 2012. This thing Lord, everybody thinks they know where this virus started. I don't know <laughs> well, they know where well, this damn virus started, well, Robert. <laughs> well, no, they, they, they do know. They have this. There was a, a man, a group of guys that got this coronavirus. They isolated the virus in a hospital in Jeddah, sent it to Belgium, to, excuse me, to Rotterdam, to the uh, head virologist guy. It was then taken from a guy named uh, Frank Plummer, who died in December. He took it to Canada. And then from Canada, it wound up in Wuhan. Now, there's a tracing of this. There is an absolute tracing of this. I've, I've, well, I've, I heard I it started at a 7-Eleven somewhere in Illinois, but uh, <laughs> I don't really know. I don't think anybody knows. I do think one of the problems that we have is we have we have been obsessed. This is just my opinion, but I give it. We've been obsessed for the past few weeks with what happened Weeks ago, months ago, years ago, instead of being focused on what's happening now is, yeah. I mean, do, do we need to do we need to cut that crap out, Phil? Do we need to stop worrying on both sides? Do Democrats need to stop complaining about Trump and his failings in mm-hmm. January, February, March uh, and and actually focus on what we should be doing today? Um, well, instead I, I think of the reason they, they keep the, the reason the Democrats, I think, keep talking about it is because. They feel like, I think, a lot of the country that we're all trapped on a bus with a crazy man at the wheel. And he's going towards a cliff. He, he could care less whether we live or die. And I think it's very important that our leaders give a crap about us. It, it, you notice it got real quiet. In Nobody's disagreeing like, I agree. with that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I, I I do disagree, but that's another story, and it takes a but much. But you gotta. Much I, more I understand you can disagree. We, we're all free to agree and disagree. But what I would love yeah. to hear is proof that he's ever said anything that shows that he's putting our good before his own. You know, I studied this gentleman from his Oprah interview 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And he has been consistent with what he said. He told us about China. He told us about the trade deals. He told us about this. I'm sorry, he's not a globalist. I believe he has the best interest in terms of America from the beginning of it. We find out now that our, I didn't know all our medicines came from there. I didn't know that our critical infrastructure stuff was made in China. I thought maybe television sets were our parts or whatever it is anyway. When we find this out, and he's been fighting for this kind of thing, he's been fighting for us to have an autonomy of our borders to protect us, and yet the left and the right, some in the right, want to disagree with that. And then we find ourselves in this pandemic. He got a lot of nonsense when he said about China. I remember that. You remember that on the news. We can go back and look at CNN and MSNBC. He got the criticism for not stopping flights from China. You know what I mean? And Nancy Pelosi going to the San Francisco China thing. Both sides, okay? But we can't do we, blame I mean, one but, guy. You know, we, yeah, start this, we start this podcast I'm every week. I'm talking about his attitude a, now. But we, we start this podcast every week, and the producers send me a list of topics they want to try to hit. And <laughs> it never fails. No matter what the topics are, the conversation <laughs> does continue to return. To well, all sort conversations of the whole, end with Trump. All conversations. They do, right? they do. The every conversation end. in life. 
ends with but Trump. Is it pro- <laughs> That's scary. That's scary. But Mike, is it productive? Is it productive to do that? I mean, I understand well, it, that, that you're an anti-Trumper or, or never Trumper. Trump and have been. Yeah, you can say it. Um, it, it. Is it productive? Well, it... <laughs> Politics is often the world of what is rather than the world of what ought to be. And people like to argue and fight. Trump's a grievance politician. So is Bernie Sanders. They they want to go at it generally with a big conspiracy theory about how they're right and the other guy's wrong. So it's like human nature to want to squabble over this stuff. But that, that's the nature of democracy. I, I would love some, you know, wonderland where everybody debates the issues factually in French, the language of world diplomacy. But that that's just not the way it works. So um, the question is, can the machinery of government, which, again, I'm a conservative. I got my doubts about it in general. But can it function in a way to govern us well during a crisis where the government grabs a lot of power. They can shut down economies and stuff. So are they being wise and judicious in that? I think the biggest criticism of Trump, not to throw the whole show into the debate Trump thing, because we're not going to change any minds, is we lost a lot of time because Trump was late. He did, uh, his administration did whack a lot of the key staff at NSC were supposed to warn us about this, and he did give a lot of mixed signals at the beginning. Now he kind of gets it a little better, but we lost a lot of time. We're never going to get back. So how do we go forward we need a absolute moonshot program for testing who failed pardon who who, who also failed oh trump did come on he was telling us to inject clorox he fired the people at the nsc who are trying to see this stuff who's on first what's on second i think he's talking about the world health organization not (laughs) yes yeah we can go on forever but the question is what comes next who and also he didn't say inject bleach you know let's let's be and and you know what People put in, you know, you heard the argument. They put in Botox. We put bleach in our teeth. And they do use a certain amount of bleach. They've got, you know the kind of tissue that's in a vaccine today, besides mercury and other animal parts? I mean, and now they're doing in Cedar sinai They are putting light, UV light. A friend of mine is there in the hospital, and they're trying to save his life. And they got a UV light through his intubation tube to try to kill the virus internally. This is, and, and here's what I'm saying. We're too quick. Immediate. And this is what this one guy has done. I've watched this stuff, as you guys have. Every time he comes across with something like that, everybody, it's like its like one side of the boat goes to one side. It looks like it's going to tip, and then something steps down and go, wait a second, let's keep this level for a second. You know what I mean? To demonize anything, as you're saying, can we pull this together? When Martin Luther King died, I was a young kid watching it on television, and I saw in a pine box pulled by two mules and a sea of people behind him. And I thought to myself, there's the totality of the human struggle. And we're either going to pull it apart or we're going to pull it together. No matter who commanders our nation. You know, I didn't agree with every politician and everything, but yet this is our nation. And how do we pull together to help? Yes, you don't like the tweets. Yes, you don't like the other thing. But you know what? It does us more good to kind of say, succeed. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. This Halloween, listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. Soundtracks available on Spotify, 
or wherever you stream your music. But I mean, like, everybody's got a podcast these days. But what would I know? I'm Satan, for God's sakes. Don't even get me started. 13 Days of Halloween. A remote hotel. This, my friend, is Hawthorne Manor. The most unusual guests. They sound like someone you trust. Trick or treat! No, sweetie, don't touch it. Don't look at it. A tour guide that can't be trusted. Was it luck or fate that placed you here? We'll never know. And the newest arrival is you. Why are you here again? I know you. Can you hear me? Starring Keegan-Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. Produced in three-dimensional binaural audio to place you right in the center of the story in ways you'll have to hear to believe. For full exposure, listen with headphones or AirPods. One story each night, starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brooke, um, Chris Christie, uh, former governor of, of New Jersey, was criticized this week um, for his plan or his opinions on the reopening of the economy. And one of the things that he said was uh, that we are going to have to accept that some people are going to die and we're going to have to open the economy. What, what are your thoughts on comments like that? It's horrifying. Um, we just cannot talk about death the way so many people are right now. It matters it wrong, when though? people die. Is he wrong? Yes, he's, he is wrong. We should not sacrifice lives. And then also for me, as like a young black woman, it is scary that in most of like major cities, people who look like me are the majority of the deaths. So, so yeah, it's wrong and it's horrifying. But So he's wrong that we're going to have to accept, you think he's wrong that we'll need, we'll have to accept that coronavirus will kill some people after we open the economy? Do you, do you, do you feel that same way, Phil? How do you think it? Do you think do you, he's right? Do you want to live wrong? in a world where certain people are expendable? <laughs> Don't ask me. I didn't say <laughs> I agreed or disagreed <laughs> with him. I'm then just asking the question. Then it's totally wrong. Insensitive and it's but, a dumb yeah, thing to wrong. say. It's it is a dumb thing to say. And a dumb and the, thing to the, say. And the president says it too. We need well, leadership. So then, so then the next, is, even if we disagree politically, I'm yep. saying the country is going through a very terrible. The world is going through a very terrible time. And we need a human being in charge that has compassion at the very least. So and empathy. Then, so then well, Phil I, or Broke or whoever, if you, you don't if you don't believe that he, that it's acceptable to say that we're gonna have to ex- acknowledge deaths will come, what what is the alternative? Are we going to continue to stay closed until there are zero deaths from coronavirus? Everything with the economy stays closed until there well, are no deaths impossible. at all from it? I mean, but like people it's just impossible. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I thank God I'm not the president or I'm not. And I'm also not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. So I don't know how to do this properly. I just know that people are going to die. It just shouldn't be how we govern. It just it shouldn't. People are going to have to die so that I can live life comfortably so that I can go to the zoo so that I can get my hair cut. So that I can go do to we the do beach? that with the That's do absurd. we do that with the uh, again again I'm just asking yeah. the questions I'm not yeah, yeah. giving my opinion but do we do that with the flu every year um, we we acknowledge that it will listen coronavirus is certainly more flu, dangerous yeah. it's more it's more contagious it's killed it's got a higher death rate but we do still have 
in the flu a disease that we already have a vaccine for, right? We've got a vaccine for it. It's available. And yet, even with the vaccine, Upwards of maybe forty thousand people die yes. every year from it. And people say is it, is it reasonable then? That's what they say. They say this. But is, we, is, we is it reasonable? I'm, I'm not making your argument for you now, um, Robert. <laughs> I'm just asking the question. No, I'm no, asking no. the question. Do we? Do we? I'm asking the question. We have one common enemy, and it's death. One common enemy. It's death. Period. That's what we all face, and we all have to look at it. So my thing is, yes, it's horrifying to say. Hey, you know what? You're going to lose some people. Yeah, my, my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncle, my friend, my, my sister. Who knows? Terrible to say that. You know what I mean? But at the same time, what is it? You know, it, I, I don't think it's as, it, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. You say, you come out and say, we're not going to lose anyone. We're, no one's going to die from this. So don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden you see a thing go. I mean, it's, it's, that's what Trump said. Hard place. Yeah. It's between a rock and a hard place. Well, what you have to do is understand the reality of it without embracing death. Every unnatural death is a tragedy. But pandemics kill people, unavoidable. What you try to do is have it kill as few people as possible. And the way you do that is you slow the spread, which is social isolation. You try to have the number of people have it flatten out so you don't overwhelm the hospitals. A lot of people who get a really bad version of it don't die unnecessarily. Um, And then you wait for either herd immunity or a vaccine. And in in between, you want stronger treatment. So the 5% who get it and get very, 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 very sick has a lower fatality rate. And so, you know, slowing the economy down is a big part of the equation. But I, I want to push back a little. It's not about closing hair salons. I'm for closing hair salons. But if you don't find a way to put some workers back to work spaced out with social distancing, uh, then people start going hungry. We're pumping trillions of dollars into relief, but we're going to run out of money and we're still going to have a lot of hungry people. So you cannot totally destroy the economy. You've got to manage it. And it's a really, really tough call. You clearly have not seen my hair right now if you're still for closing hair salons. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll, let me let me switch um, subjects just a bit, because one of the things that I imagine it's happening for all of you as well, that I am finding every day between watching my Netflix and my Hulu and all of that stuff and ignoring the news, I am getting bombarded constantly by people who are everybody. We're all sitting at home right now and everyone is making memes and sending them to me. And they are, I mean, they're very funny, but they're all about coronavirus or videos that they, we're, we're all able, we don't have work to, as many people don't have to go to work in, in the office as much anymore. So they're sitting at home on their phone and they're sharing these memes and videos. There have been quite a few that have really made the rounds this week. Um, a video, uh, about mourning in America, um, kind of doing a play on Ronald Reagan's uh, 1984 campaign, but this with mourning as in sadness. Uh, George Bush, President George W. Bush, um, actually released a video himself. And Phil, you put together quite a funny mashup of um, some folks who have stood behind the president, literally, at his uh, press conferences (laughs) in the past. Um, Did you see it, Robert? (laughs) (laughs) Did did, did you, Robert? Did you see it? I don't think I did. You got to send it to me. We will make sure you get a copy of it, <laughs> Phil. Sure tell us while, while we're, while we're on that. Phil. Phil, tell us where where the idea came from. I think it's pretty brilliant. I've seen it. It's I was, hilarious. I was talking to my friend at the Atlantic. Uh, Jeffrey Goldberg is the the editor at the Atlantic. I don't know if you guys know him, 
But uh, I just had this idea of what if you, I, I haven't seen a video that focuses on the people who uh, literally stand behind the president when he says some outrageous things. And I just thought you could do a slow kind of Ken Burns push in on their faces <laughs> and, and uh, while he talks. You don't even have to have seen it to know how funny it is, and, right? And it's called uh, right. We Stand Behind the President. And uh, I wanted, I called it that because I actually wanted people from the other side to have a look because a lot of the times we're just talking to ourselves. And, and what I'd love is to convert Robert today. That is well. That is brilliant, and and it's the perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you, though, because I don't know that that part's going to happen. But no, I, I do. Know. I do I wonder when. But I do wonder when people make these videos, what yeah. their goal is, because certainly there's a, a great degree of entertainment for th- folks who are not necessarily looking, wanting the president to win re-election. But do we ever really expect them to be watched by the other side at all or to Malcolm, change any minds? Malcolm Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell said that satire doesn't work in one of his great uh, podcasts. And he used All in the Family as an example. So we watch All in the Family, we laugh at Archie Bunker, and we wait for his comeuppance, right, in every episode because he says these terrible racist things and then he gets his comeuppance. But to bigots and to to people, other people, they they look, including Richard Nixon, who said, why does everybody make fun of that Archie Bunker guy? He seems like such a nice guy. Oh, they don't Did get he really it say at that? all. Yeah, of course he said they that. They don't get it at all. Stephen Colbert, God. in his first show, The Colbert Report, uh, played a, a right-wing guy, uh, uh, a parody of a pundit on the right, uh, like from Fox News, and we laugh, and then the Republicans actually invited him to speak at Bush's White House Correspondents' Dinner as one of their own. Do you think that that's? Do you think that that's just them, though? Do you think it's just Republicans who fall for that? Don't you think Democrats may at times fall for for similar things Republicans do? Honestly. I was racking my brain there trying to think of Bill. when Democrats didn't know that they were being made fun of. I can't think Robert, of an instance. Robert, give him a minute. Can you got an example handy? Well, you know. If look, you don't, then he wins the argument. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. There are examples of it, but... Uh, but I, let me I, ask I, you, Mike. What, 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 I, what I have to say, though, is that, you know, this whole collusion thing, I mean, I, I, you know, we're all intelligent human beings looking at something. Now, Richard Grinnell came out with something yesterday that he said he's going to let... If Adam Schiff doesn't release the papers... Of, what? Of, uh, yeah, where are you, you going with that? this, Robert? No, I wonder where you're going. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm talking about funny videos. <laughs> okay. Well, there are funny videos. I'm not right, talking about crazy that. conspiracy well, shit. I'm, I'm asking. I mean, I do want to ask though. I do want to ask though, Mike. Do do a negative attack ads not? I mean, they work, don't they? Isn't that so, sort of a political reality yeah. that attack ads work? If you're on the same side, they work during primaries. Just one second. I've got Lyndon Larouche on the other line with the update. Um. So yeah, bad news works. 
People like bad news. That's why there's an old joke in political consulting that the only ad with a fact in it is generally a negative ad. Now, they don't work uh-huh. all the time. The context is important, and most people are dug in. No, nothing will move them. I, I don't think we're going to see a red hat on Phil and a Biden uh, uh, sticker on uh, Robert's car. But there are voters in the middle, not that many of them, only in about six or seven states who have the power to pick the president. And most campaigns are a battle of two narratives and two piles of information. And sometimes the most effective information is indeed negative. Not always, but people do tend to reward negative ads, which is why you see so many of them. But, Brooke, do you think that that ads like this do stoke the base? I mean, we've seen on the left, um, there's certainly been a divide between people who voted for Biden versus people who supported Bernie or Warren or any of the other primary candidates and were not really excited about Biden getting the nomination. Do you think that things like Phil's video or any any sort of ad like that might help solidify the left base around Biden? Do they do they serve a purpose there at all? No, I, I you know, I I oh, I don't think so. I don't think it anything could help at this point. And and, and I, I know you mentioned like other bases, but I, I think every every like generally just what I've seen and obviously like Twitter is not real life, but um Bernie versus Biden is just so strongly separated that You don't think I, you'll be I able to to bring think, the party together? I don't think either of them would have been able to. So I don't, I don't know what, what's going to happen. And I think that with 2016 should have taught all of us that we just really will never know. We never, we never know what's going to happen. So I don't know, but it's not looking like, I just don't see either of Phil, those you, camps being such strong supporters of the other. Phil, do you think that, that, that identifying or reminding people of what you may believe is Trump's the danger of Trump, is that something that you think bonds Democrats together and might help solidify that party behind the candidate, the nominee? Uh, you you, you got to point out the elephant in the room, right? And, and I think that, I think it's quite evident to most people that this is a disaster, mm-hmm. that his whole presidency has been a disaster. And that, that he's almost a, a, a criminal enterprise who's taken over our country. And, and I, I feel very strongly that, and I have hope, that in 2016, nobody thought this guy would win. And so if they didn't like Hillary, they didn't really go to the polls, right? They just as soon stay home. But now yeah. I feel there's a definite mandate. We got to get this guy out of there. And I, I'm hoping and praying that that's the case, that they're going to come out strong against him. Robert, do you think the Republicans are just as motivated? Or do you think he might have lost some of that enthusiasm in the last three years? You know, politics, as we know, is a fluid, fluid thing. And for right now, I don't know where everything stands. I feel he's going to win again. As I did in June of 2015 when he came down the escalator, I wrote an article for Breitbart. I've written about many articles on Breitbart. I also wrote in 2010 that China was our biggest threat. You can laugh at that. Take a look at the article. I said China and everyone ignored. I also said let's take care of immigration in 2010. I said Trump was going to win that election because he spoke to the forgotten man. Believe it or not. Now, you can laugh at that. You could say that. But there was a thing. I travel the world. I travel the country as we all do. And... I had a conversation, interesting one time, with Chris Matthews on his show, Hardball. 
and he got frustrated. He goes, listen, all right, okay, I get it. I get it. I have relatives that are telling me the same thing because of the blue-collar thing that happened. There is a feeling among certain people in the country that they are talked down to, that the Democrats have become a bit elitist in terms of how they perceive flyover states, how they perceive, and that, that to me is something that, that has resonated to a certain extent. You know, well, you know, I mean, again, I wonder, I wonder, because I hope that I don't, I don't think anybody here has laughed at anything you've said, but I do think, and I want to ask Brooke, if people, and I'm not saying, no, obviously nobody here is laughing at Robert, but, but if folks who believe similar things to what Robert has been talking about here, if they feel they're being laughed at, if, they're fe- if they feel they're being condescended to, is there any hope whatsoever for Democrats to convince them to change their mind? Well, I mean, when we, I think I, I often hear that. I'm from Oklahoma, right? Um, so I know all about living in that portion of America. But I wonder when, when I hear Trump supporters and, and specifically, are they talking about everyone in middle America or just a certain demographic? Because it doesn't sound like everyone. And so um, then that's the problem. It can be thrown back on the other side. The, did you see what happens to the Democrats Schumer and Schiff, and I got to mention these people, and even President Obama and Hillary said the border has to be protected. The border has to be protected. Let's put up a fence. Let's do this. Let's do that. The inconsistency. And then Trump comes along, who's kind of a guy that wants to make deals, and everybody started to go. Now the country sees that. It's on record. You can hear the people are sitting back there, Joe and Tommy and Sid and Mary and Ellen. They're sitting back there going, wait a minute, didn't he just say we should? And now they're saying no. So they think there's some kind of scam on. When Gavin Newsom gives hundred over $100 million to illegal immigrants, when people are, uh, 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 or how much he gave, I don't know, in California, when you have, you know, it's a, it's a crazy mixed up thing. It's, 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 uh, and Trump comes along and says, wait a second, I want America first. Well, guys are saying, yes, we want that. So, and, um, you know, wanna, that's, the, that's the issue. Let's, I want to talk a little bit about, Joe Biden, too. Um, we try every week to do that. It always seems to go back to Trump, but let's try. Um, is, you know, Joe Biden, he's in his basement in Delaware right now, right? Um, he's not able to travel around. The president, of course, is able to be on TV every day if he wants to. Um, he has been on TV uh, every day. He may come back, he says. Um, do you think that Joe Biden's silence, um, uh, imposed silence, has hurt him? Or do you think that Phil, he is actually being helped because he's allowing Donald Trump to hurt himself. Do you think uh, it's a good a, thing that Biden's quiet? That that's a good question. Uh, Thank I you very much. I, I think I think people <laughs> like him as a human being, as someone with compassion and empathy, and so I think in this time, I think we would like to hear from him. I think there's a reason why CNN plays Cuomo's uh, briefing every day, because the country wants to hear from a grown-up, a grown-up with compassion and who speaks from facts and not self-interest. Mike, your thoughts on that? 
Well, look, it's hard for Biden. He doesn't have a platform to campaign on. But the election is about Trump, which I think we've been demonstrating for a long time on the podcast. It's a referendum on Trump. And Trump's problem is in every election since Trump took the oath of office, my beloved Republican Party has gotten its ass kicked. Uh, we've lost 11 governorships. We got wiped out in the Congress. Um, we're about to, we're in very good, uh, very bad shape to potentially lose the Senate. The country wants to fire Trump. And the question is, will that change? Will either side do anything to change that? So that's given a little artificial comfort to the Biden team who can stay in the basement because the polling has gotten better since they went in the basement and Trump's been on television every day uh, uh, doing the Trump show. But there's still risk because if if things are not as bad as people presume they will be going forward. And one problem with cable news is it's television, which means it's about conflict. Every every story is the Hindenburg. Every bit of trivia is the biggest thing of the day. So they tend to amp up any bad news and if things aren't quite that bad. And if the Democrats culturally look like they're rooting for the country to fail to hurt Trump, it gives Trump something to work with. The other thing that could help Trump would be the wrong VP choice. Again, gives Trump a big handle to change the topic of the election away from firing him to here's all the things that are wrong about Biden. So Biden's been okay taking a little time here to get ready, but he's going to have to emerge. We're going to have to see very good Biden. The thing people forget about Biden is in some ways, and by the way, I, I, Biden is going to be the first Democrat I'll ever vote for for president. I want him to win. I want Trump to lose. But Biden is the turtle on the proverbial fence post. He lost Iowa. He lost New Hampshire. It was the loyalty of African-American voters in the South Carolina primary that saved him. It wasn't his campaign chops. So even though Biden doesn't have to do that much to beat Trump because Trump's put himself in so much trouble, and I doubt Trump can change, Biden's got to get better. And he's got to emerge. He's got a little time. But, you know, if I were a Democrat, I would not be overly complacent. I think Biden has Agreed. all the advantages. Agree. Yeah. Trump's alive. Yep. Robert, do you worry at all about November? I mean, you had a candidate in 2016 uh, opposed opposing your guy. You know, your horse was was Trump and and Democrats had Hillary and arguably um, Hillary did not have the favorability or the likability for a lot of people in the middle of the country that Biden does. And so now Donald Trump is up against someone who I think most Republicans will even admit is a likable person. Um, you know, my mom voted for Trump, but she doesn't dislike Joe Biden in the same way she disliked Hillary Clinton. Does right. it concern you at all that the likability may have uh, an impact on your guys' chances? No, I mean, look, this is our nation. I've, I've voted for Republicans. I voted for Democrats. I have not, you know, uh, in terms of president elections and whatnot. Uh, what I feel for Joe Biden is the, it's unfortunate. I feel compassion for him. He obviously is struggling. There is obviously something going on. What it is, I don't know. I don't want to say it is. I'm not a doctor. But there's obviously something. And the rigorousness of having to go to full uh, blown out campaign mode. I don't know if that's going to do well for him. As you've seen, you've seen his wife coddle him along. You've seen certain things, statements that, have, that seem to have been buzzed along. There's a, there's a thing there. And I don't want to, uh, you know, I've looked at Biden over the years. He's very likable. Uh, I've liked him at some times. I haven't liked him at some times, like all politicians. And I just have compassion for him. And I don't know how that's going to uh, to play out. What what can't play out is the Democratic Party putting a blind eye to it, because then what what happens is it then feeds 
the uh, GOP and the people in the country that are seeing that and going, what are they not seeing? What are they trying to tell us? Well, so I don't know the that danger. They- I don't know that there's anybody who's going to be able to uh, you know, strongly claim that Democrats haven't. Uh, I don't listen. I think it's bullshit. I've, I've met Joe Biden several times and have never found him to be anything but sharp as a tack. But, um, I, Brooke, let me ask you, whose fault is that narrative? Because that narrative about Joe Biden being having something slowing him down in some way, that didn't start with Republicans. That was that started mm-hmm. that started with with people in the Bernie camp and the and the further left uh, wings of the party. So whose fault is that if that becomes the narrative that Republicans use to attack him in the general? I mean, this the primary was rough. The, he was vice president of the United States for eight years. The brand is strong and everyone knew that going in. And so if you did, if you wanted to beat with beat him, people were thinking of different ways to compete. But I'm just curious What's the standard if we're all like being like armchair doctors, right? We're couch doctors um, and something's wrong with Biden. What's the scale and where does Trump lie on that? I'm totally curious if, like, if, you're, if, you, if you're seeing Joe Biden talking, you seriously believe that like there's an issue and this is your scale and this is why. Where, I, I, like in all honesty. Phil, I yeah, think I that is your next video. I think that's your next video, Phil. <laughs> Trump and Biden both go under um, uh, objective psychiatric analysis. Hell, I'll give five hundred grand to the Trump campaign if he can run through that hoop. He ought to okay, be in a there's cage. a there's a promise right there. Phil, what was yeah. that show that on cable year? Doctor Katz was that what it was? Yeah, um, years yeah. ago. I feel yeah. like whoever did that needs to come back and do yes. a Donald Trump Joe Biden video. Phil, I'm I putting ask, you on uh, next week. I want to see. Mike, can I ask Mike a question? I'm curious, Mike, did did you think that what happened in Wisconsin, where the, the voters went out, even even with the with covid out there and they literally risked their lives to vote? That to me was a bellwether. That to me was yeah. a very good sign. Mm-hmm. I, so one true. of the biggest mistakes people make in politics is obsessing with their base. The base is a bunch of voters who will vote for a box of horseshoes if it has an R or a D on it. You want to get to the swing voters. Trump treats every election like a base election, and his base is old white guys, and it's shrinking. That's right. his biggest problem. And I think what we saw in Wisconsin, uh, where they were literally, and you know, it breaks my heart as a Reagan opportunity Republican to see, and I've worked in Wisconsin. I ran Governor Thompson's campaign. I have a lot of friends ah. in the Republican Party there. But seeing them shut down polling places, uh, with with I think you know uh, malice to try to deny voting, yet they yes. lined up. So the the Democrat base is in good shape. This Bernie stuff is noise again. Cable needs a fight every day. The right. only, the big question of the election. It's really simple. Can Trump, using his one advantage, people perceive perceptions reality in my racket today? They perceive that Trump is better running the economy than Biden. So the economic pain of the virus in the fall, will people think Trump is better? And will Trump be able to fix the problem in the suburbs that killed the Republican Party and get those voters back? Mostly college educated white people lean to women. If he can fix that problem and make the election about Biden, he can beat him. Otherwise, Trump's going to get fired. But and that's the other the thing that all the whole election. But the other way he can beat him, and this is what really worries me, is the cheating, the gerrymandering, the the fixing of it, which he always you know cries about. And uh, if you've noticed, he has a little tell, which is anything he accuses someone else of doing, he does. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to have you back. Next, I'm going to have you back next Democrat. week, Phil, so that we can talk about that because I that's a big that's a big talking the big subject I like to discuss is gerrymandering and that kind of stuff. But I yeah, want to yeah. move on. We need to but move on to at, our. Um, you got to look at the gerrymandering of what's happened here since 1965. That's what you got to start looking at the gerrymandering. You go to you know what I mean with the uh, with the, uh, with the what's his name Ted Kennedy and the. Uh, you know, th- there's gerrymandering going on, yes. And yeah, but that's there's more gerrymandering going on around races. In the presidential race, there's no gerrymandering. The question is fraud. And for all my, you know, hot-headed rage about Donald Trump, I'm not too worried about fraud. Now, in congressional districts, I used to live in a district in California, the Dems drew, that was only contiguous at low tide. I've also sat with the governor of Michigan and joked about drawing one of our Democratic congressmen into Canada and Lake Michigan. Both parties do it to each other on the congressional side. On presidential, you worry about fraud. You worry right. a bit about Russians. Right. Uh, and we will see. What about the Chinese that in 2008 went into the Obama campaign and the McCain campaign? No one well, talks that, about that. Look, I, I, as a guy who was McCain's consultant and on the Straight Talk Express campaign, I can tell you if John were alive today, he'd be screaming about Trump rolling over to the Russians and the Chinese. Trump's been a sucker for both of them. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Sorry, I go. Yeah, the, the, the title of this episode. No, no, no. Just the title so of this episode know, may I, need to be rabbit wait, holes. I, I, got, I gotta say this. Just so you know, in 2008, I narrated about 85 percent of the RNC convention. I did McCain's bio, and I did all his president, a lot of his presidential ads. Excellent, just, uh, excellent. Well, we're we'll be back you. together for the next Republican president, Robert. We're, yeah, not uh, this one, though, right, Mike? This one. <laughs> Let's do our <laughs> yeah, quick well, fire round. Let me back in, but I, Robert will be there. <laughs> Let's do our... See, these things always make me, make me want to go down rabbit holes. So I got uh, so many other questions that come to mind for Mike and for all of you for when you say things like that. I want to know where the Republican Party goes from here, but don't answer that right now because we've got questions from our audience that we want to pose to each of you. Um, we do this every week, our quick fire round, where we give you a, a quick question from a, a listener that they've written in. They can do that. Um, you can do that if you're listening. You can write us on Instagram. Instagram or Twitter at Politicon, or you can email us podcast at Politicon.com for Mike Murphy Trump if he loses in 2020. Yes, uh, we're going to be like Toyota. We're going to have a lot of bombed out plants, but we can build new, better ones. (laughs) Okay, Brooke, sorry, from Charleston, West Virginia or South Carolina, not sure. How will young people get fired up for Biden if they didn't come out for Bernie? Just that Trump exists. And that's a terrible argument. But there are so many people who have very valid reasons why he wasn't their choice. There were a lot of people in the primary for a really long time. And a lot of people are going to have to hold their nose into um, when, you know, as they're voting and, and do it. And people have been doing that for decades. Robert Greta from Austin says the intel. Oh, this is going to be hot. Here we go. Greta from Austin asks the intelligence agencies say COVID did not escape from a lab. Why do people think it did? Well, again, I, I was. I don't, you, you don't know this. I was on Homeland Security Policy Institute at George Washington University for fourteen years from two thousand one. Did a lot of stuff. I have. I tour around the world. I, I know a lot of people around the world. Intel people, stuff like that. I'm telling you, the virus, when, they, when it all boils down, it'll, they'll see that it, it has its origin in Saudi Arabia and uh, in 2012 went to Rotterdam, uh, the Netherlands, went to Wuhan. Now, in between there, and also the virus is 70% natural and 30% what the F. Uh, 
in terms of, <laughs> not, now, did anyone really manipulate it? That's something else. But the minute you have the DNA of a virus, something happens. It is said that a woman that worked in the lab, and, and this is something else you can track. I ask you to Google General Chi Hoatian speech from the Communist card, uh, uh, Party, the CCP, in 2005, his speech. I can't read spell that, speech. so it's going to be difficult. Yeah, but, but if you, you read his speech... <laughs> well, I'm going to find it on your Twitter page. But, well, I don't know if it's... Yeah, you may, you may, you may. I'm going to find but, it on your Twitter page. But the Let's whole move. thing is mapped out in terms of... And that's when, after he left the Defense uh, Department of China, that's when Wuhan was built. So well, you're a, on the record right now here today uh, saying that it came from Saudi Arabia. If we find out well, after this... Uh, wait a minute, right. wait a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying it came from Saudi Arabia like a nefarious thing. A couple of guys got very ill... No, 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 no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If we find the origins were from Saudi Arabia, you're on record here. You're right. I'm going to owe you a meal at your uh, favorite Italian uh, restaurant in uh, Chatsworth. If if, that, we, if we find that out, how are we not sure it came from Phil? Because I've seen some of the stuff he eats on his extra Netflix show. That's and right. I, and there might have been some bat sauce involved. I don't know. I think we need to investigate. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I want to take Robert to over to Fox News and get him a show and make some money. Okay, listen, <laughs> Phil, I'm, call, I'm I'm putting you in on this, too. If we find out that it originated yes. from Saudi Arabia, San Carlo yes. Deli in Chatsworth, That'd we, be great, the guys. three of us are going to go together with him. To, as uh, as to long as it wasn't dinner. Israel. We have enough trouble. <laughs> Phil, Christina from Philadelphia uh, yes. asks, many beloved restaurants will shutter for good. How can oh. the industry and others like it survive? Yes, yes, it's a terrible thing because the bailout, unfortunately, is helping the guys at the very top and the chains, and that it may be all that's left when the smoke clears here. Uh, big fancy restaurants for guys on expense accounts, and McDonald's and Burger King for the rest of us. And it's it's not it's it, it's just like the middle class is getting wiped out in America. The middle class of restaurants, the places that we want to go. This is very important to me because it's where my social life is. I don't know about anybody else. But I suspect there's a lot more people like me out there who love to go get a cup of coffee in the morning and love to go have lunch at their favorite uh, sandwich place and love to go to a mom and pop Italian place at, at night or a Chinese restaurant. Uh, this is where we live. This is where our social lives are. And we need a bailout for these independent restaurants. Very, very important. And in the meantime, totally you're ordering agree. a lot from them. Yes. For those that are staying open, you can still continue to, to Christina, who asked how they can survive. You can continue to, to order from them, support pick up, them, just yes. to support them as much Absolutely. as you can. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Back, to, back to Mike. Um, Tom from Boston asks, will Joe Biden be able to recapture the Obama coalition? Yes. Because the the coalition is the, you know, make a change coalition. Now, he's got to do some minimum sufficient uh, candidate things, and he may not get quite the turnout uh, of Obama. But yeah, yeah, I think he can. And I, I think it's likely he will. Who do you think will be his VP? Oh, I'm worried about that. Uh, because you want, it's like casting. You don't want the sidekick to be better than the star. Mm -hmm. And that's, there's always internal pressure. And of course, identity politics rules the Democratic Party for good or bad. So he'll be under pressure. You also, it's a terrible job. So you want somebody who is, is, is not 
going to refuse you when you say, go out there and close that children's hospital, take the take one for the team, somebody who's got their eye on the job. So I think the strongest choice, well, from policy, it's Gia Raimondo, the best Democratic governor America in Rhode Island. Nobody votes for vice president. You need a governing partner, and she's very, very good. But the unions don't like her, so she's gone. It'll probably be either Kamala Harris, Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan, swing state. She's got a good story. Uh, or Amy Klobuchar. Uh, and again, with, with Amy, you know, she's, she can be, um, ambitious, but she's a talented politician. So I think it'll be one of those three. I think Kamala Harris is a mistake. That's not the vote he needs. And it gives Trump a way to make the race, a big racial war, which is the tragedy of our times that that's even in a president's mind. But I think that's risk. And if I were Biden, I don't want risk. I want to do like Clinton and uh, Gore. Clinton was a genius. He picked a worse version of himself. And that way it was one pitch. There was no daylight. With Kamala Harris or, or, you know, some of the other candidates I didn't mention, you're going to be debating differences, which Mm. is not what you want when you're the challenger. You want to make it about the incumbent. But who knows? Well, I'm I'm used to being second place, so I'm available. uh, (laughs) Uh, Brooke, um, Joan from Albany. Joan from Albany asks... um, uh, let me see this question here. Um, okay, interesting wording. Now that Tara Reid claims are more muddled, do we still believe all women? Good question. <sighs> I think also, I think <laughs> the phrase believe women, it, it's by people who don't want to support it, it's been kind of like taken and thrown around kind of like Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter never meant only black people matter. So there was never a need to say blue lives matter or all lives. There was never a need. It was just like highlighting something that needed it. Highlighting the importance of this, this group of people that weren't being treated like their lives matter. And so believe women doesn't mean that every man did it no matter what. That's it. It, it just means that society generally does not believe women. And we have to do a better job at that. And so I think when you define it actually how it's supposed to be defined, then, um, we're fine. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a pretty damn good answer for a tough Excellent. question, for a very good question, but a tough one. Um, for Robert, Kathy from Tampa asks, how will President Trump win over independence? Well, you know, that's, I don't have the crystal ball on that, but I, I would assume that once we gear it up, it, it, there's going to be a big shedding to that. You know, a lot of things, uh, I think when these reports come out that, uh, I, I know everyone loves Russian collusion and some other things start coming out that there was a setup, a coup attempt from what I've been reading about on the president of the United States and a very high level. I think that's a danger for the Democrats. And I think the independents are going to look at that and, and I, uh, as this gears up and also how he's going to deal with the economy, uh, which we know he can uh, help. And uh, again, it's, it's not a crystal ball, but just the the manufacturing, coming back to America, the infrastructure, things that need to be done, and I think he'll appeal to the to the independents. Okay, and Phil, last one uh, is for you. I love this question. Ron from New Orleans asked, has President Trump killed satire? <laughs> no, it's impossible to kill satire, but it is, it, it's also, it's also impossible to do the movie because the real life is so much crazier than any movie you could do. Like, why bother making the the fictional version of what we're witnessing here? You just write, play I mean, the, run the tape. 
that that was the big that was the big uh problem almost with veep they tried to make it as yes. ridiculous as possible and then exactly. it just could not be more ridiculous you can't, than you real can't life. beat you can't beat this right <laughs> well um that's the end of our uh quick fire round not 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 necessarily as quick as they always are <laughs> but um, um but good answers nonetheless uh phil uh brooke Mike, Robert, tell us where we can hear you, where, where, where we can find you, where we can see you. Brooke, where can we find and see you right now, where we can get your podcast? I'm on like every possible social media platform there is. I use Twitter, Instagram, a little Facebook a lot, but you can just find me at Brooke on air. There's an E at the end of my name. So it's Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E on air. And then you can find my podcast, Controlling Our Narrative, anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Great. So I'm a whatever Brooke is fan. clever for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what about you, Mike? Where can we can see you on N- NBC and MSNBC uh, quite a bit, but where else can we hear you? See me there. You can follow me on Twitter at Murphy Mike. Uh, hopefully, if CBS gives us an order, I've got an hour long show with Patrick Dempsey called Ways and Means. And we, ah. We're waiting oh, for the nice. to lift. Yeah, I do a little work as a TV writer on the side. And finally, David Axelrod, my friend of 30 years, even though he's a left winger and wrong on every issue. We talk <laughs> about what's really going on in politics from the point of view of two old pros every week on a podcast called Hacks on Tap. It's a lot of fun. He's great. Nice, Phil. We can obviously see you on uh, Netflix with somebody yes. feed Phil. Um, new season, new season, May 29th. Coming oh, up. Yeah, oh, perfect. <laughs> just, yeah. That's perfect. Just in time for uh, for our quarantine to still be going on. Well, where, I'm, where, just, where I'm, else? I'm, I want you to watch it as, as aspirational. Make yes. your plans where you're going to go when this is over. Exactly. Travel and eat well once we yes. can do that. What else? Where else can we follow you and find you? I'm, uh, I'm on the Instagram. I'm on the Twitter. Uh, I'm in your house. You don't know it. Well, you've been you've been in our lives for quite a bit here. With, uh, and you can still you can still see everybody else Raymond in syndication or on on streaming somewhere. So you can that'll be around for the rest of the rest of all of our lives. I'm sure. Well, thank um, you. Absolutely. Uh, no, thank you. Um, and Robert, wh- what about you on Twitter? Are you on Twitter or Instagram, either one of those? Yes, at, at Robert John Davi on Twitter and uh, at Robert Davi on Instagram. Instagram, I don't go political. I go humanitarian. I go art. I go heart. And, uh, but I get a little riled up on, uh, on Twitter. And, and uh, I'm like that don't uh, we Asian... The Asian Hornet sometimes. <laughs> don't, we, don't, don't we all? The, the killer. Oh, great. The murder Hornet. That's something else we got to worry about. But, um, but there's one, there's one other place that people can hear Robert. You just yes. put out a, you just remade an old song. You made it new. You made it 2020. Tell us the, the motivation behind this and, and what it is. Yeah, well, I toured the world, like I said, doing these, the Great American Songbook and trying to unite us, actually, because uh, for those of you that, anyway, uh, my musical director, Randy Waldman, uh, we were going to do a live show at his house and I was putting some stuff on uh, rehearsals on, on Instagram and he called me up. He said, hey, why don't we do this song and change it to Virus Stay Away From The Door? So we did. And uh, we, we, it's, a, it's a great classic. We got Kenny G and all the top musicians. Everyone did it quarantined from their own place. We got the mixer from uh, two great uh, engineers from Capitol and other studios put it together and it's out there virus stay away from your door you can get it on amazon itunes streaming services all over and you can see my movies all over the place and all that other nonsense and you can but get the, it you can buy it you can download it and and yes. proceeds from it are going to go i want to say i love singing 
Well, <laughs> you're going to get to hear him right now. We're going to thank all of you guys for being with us. We're going to um, ask you to come back and join us next week. Email your questions uh, or your comments to our panel for next week at, again, uh, podcast at politicon.com or on Instagram or Twitter at politicon. We'll be back next week with another show. Thanks so much again to Brooke Thomas, Phil Rosenthal, Robert Davi, and Mike Murphy. And Robert, sing us out here. You keep going your way I'll keep going my way Coronavirus Stay away from the door I just got a cabin Don't you come near my cabin Virus, stay away from the door Don't you come any nearer I'll stay all alone Don't leave your bed and the fire on the phone I ain't breaking your heart Don't start breaking my heart Coronavirus Stay away from the door Go Randy Keep going my way You keep rolling your way Coronavirus Stay away from the door I just got me a cabin Don't you come near my cabin Coronavirus Stay away from the door Any closer, I'll stay all alone. Don't leave your bed in the fire. Call me on the phone. I ain't breaking your heart. Don't you start breaking my heart. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. After you listen to today's podcast, here's one to add to your playlist. I'm Christian O'Connell, and I've had this thought for a while. 
What if you took the world's funniest and most interesting people? Hello, I'm Ricky Gervais. I'm Celeste Barber. Some people call me Beyonce. I'm Russell Brand. And ask them to share the stories behind their three most treasured items. No doubt about it, the guitar. I think I know the same chords now as I did when I was 14. From iHeartRadio, this is The Stuff of Legends. Add it to your playlist for free. Just search for Stuff of Legends in your podcast app.